Oh, how are you all? Um, yeah, uh, this is not going to be a long one. It's certainly not going to be a very long one. But we'll see what we can get through. And to be honest, the way the report structures is that it kind of bounces between quite a lot of things. So yeah, this is part two of the of the current derailment um, kind of mini-series, if you like. At the moment, I, I think there are probably going to be three. Uh, there might end up being four, depending on how little I get through tonight. Um, screen time is giving me throbbing headaches. Uh, and And my whole body aches uh, i don't think i don't know if it is the coronavirus but lfts haven't been as successful at, at um, picking up the latest variant so it could be in any case we shall battle through um and we shall start with uh, me making sure that i've got the right uh, bit of my window t uh, kind of clicked we'll start with the coronavirus statistics so how are things looking well they are looking i think when it comes to to the um to the travel statistics, I think we're at the point where, well, you can see that, that there's the, the, the sort of general steady climb, you know, it's still kind of continuing. But I'm inclined to think that we have reached, um, that we might have plateaued and reached what, what will be the new, certainly for the short term, while, while you know, the government doesn't know what it's doing and has no idea how to drive, kind of actually drive modal shift. I think we've reached, we might well, I, you know, for fear of making a false prediction, we might well have reached the... the the sort of plateau for rail usage for now um, at around the 80% mark. Um, but let us uh, scoot. So that's the overall picture, but let's look, let's zoom in on them. Oh, <coughs> excuse me. Let's look, zoom in on the, on this year. So the general climb from, from January, uh, up we go. Uh, you can see we were kind of bumping around between here and here, uh, kind of we have been bumping around the, uh, the 80% mark. So rail is at 80%. Um, at the moment, ish, uh, and that, that there's a mixture. So long distance services are uh, over a hundred percent in in quite a few cases, particularly on the east coast. Um, Avanti a bit further behind. Well, that's because Avanti gets used by a lot of commuters in the, in a way that's different to the east coast, which is a lot of leisure travellers, long long distance leisure travellers. So so cycling, uh, you know, road usage has plateaued. Interestingly, lower than if if we go back. It's actually plateaued lower than previously. So the previous plateau that it reached was closer to the 100% mark, around kind of here. It was, it was around about 100%. And it's kind of looking like it's plateaued at a lower point uh, now. So maybe kind of, if we go back to this this shot, maybe even your kind of 95% um, uh, mark, is, is which is interesting. You know, it's an interesting observation. Uh, there, the, the 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 road plateau cycling. Uh, it's nice weather. People like cycling, so uh, so this is good. We like we like to see this uh, happy face. Um, what about buses? Buses again. Actually, it's interesting. Buses and rail seem to have converged, which I was always I always thought buses would sit slightly above. They appear to have converged, but actually, I suppose um, perhaps that's uh, actually. You know what? I have no idea. With my brain being as fuzzy as I, I cannot make any sort of suggestion. Um, but it's a very good point. Uh, Gareth Williams makes a very good point that this 80% for rail, bearing in mind that we are running a, a timetable, in some cases is still around 50%. Uh, you know, 50% uh, timetable. Uh, so that's not, not for all talks, but for some. Uh, for some talks, there we are. Um, so... so it's difficult to tell. Until we have a full timetable running, it's difficult to tell where that hit is. But I, I'm inclined to think a lot of those numbers will be 
through London commuting, you know, the, the, the reduction in, in standard commuters through the centre of London. Uh, but uh, I'm going to, th- there are some good um, GB Rail uh, transition team statistics being released. I'm going to ask for another release of those because they're very interesting. And then um, Tom Cairns and I also have a look at the timetable again to work out who's running what level of service because that's also quite interesting to see what that impact might be. Um, yes, so that's all that. Uh, let us uh, let us run at do, 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 do. Huddersfield to Castleford is running at zero percent, other than a couple of buses at peak time. Yeah, well, quite. Uh, yeah, service levels are 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 really low. Alfonso Lapulche is saying yeah, service levels are particularly low down. Tom is wondering uh, is saying can't imagine why cycling nosedived. Yeah, something about the weather I think uh, might have might have had an impact. Absolutely. Anyway, um, oh, actually, let me just double check, double check this. Yes, okay, good, fine. Sorry, I'm just checking my slide deck. So, let's crack on. There's no news um, this episode because next week will be a big bumper news catch up because there's so much to do. But we are talking about the, um, uh, we are talking about the the three C's of the causes of uh, Carment. Uh, we last last time we talked about uh, construction design management, uh, so CDM, uh, really talking about the drains. This time we're talking about crisis management and, con- and kind of control of the railways. Uh, that's what we're going to be covering. Although I think we might skip back to talking about more broad sort of control and management issues if we get to some of the underlying, if we get to some of the contributing co- uh, factors, um, which are also kind of scattered about in a way that's not hugely, not necessarily hugely logical. Um, but there are some things that we might pick out there, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll have a look at those. Um, without further ado, let's uh, let's go on with the show. Welcome to tonight's rail matter, everyone. episode 108 i did not correct that whoopsies my brain is, is very fuzzy as the intercity 225 fading away very nice and um yes this is a continuation of episode 106 which was part one uh the look at the you know detail look at the final report we kind of looked at uh, in some pretty uh, pretty reasonable detail i think at the drain itself so um uh, so that, that that kind of we looked at that, but what we're going to do this time is continue continue working our way through the PDF. So we're not we're not we're not jumping around. We're going to continue working our way through and pick up the the kind of um, well, in fact, yeah, we're, we're going to go through and have a look at crisis management, particularly um, worth saying, of course, same as last time. The content warning for everyone: um, uh, descriptions and images from rail crashes. Yes, this is going to contain kind of. Uh, Actually, the last that last episode and this episode aren't perhaps quite as bleak. I think the the the, the next episode is probably going to be the worst one, episode three. But uh, nonetheless, there's a chance that there's descriptions of things that you might find upsetting, particularly if you have been, um, yeah, if uh, if you're have been kind of if you have been impacted or 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 indeed if you've been involved in a rail crash, there's a chance this this might bring back some memories. But also for people who just don't like the uh, who who are going to be triggered by the kind of uh, talking about the incident, then uh, just a bit of a content warning for you. So, um, oh, Gareth, uh, yes, I'm sounding subdued. No, I'm just I'm ill, <laughs> very ill. 
my head hurts and looking at the screen is hurting me and all the light shining in my eyes is giving me a headache but um so this will be a short one but I, uh, i'll be damned if the rona is stopping me from continuing my every single week since i started this there being an episode streak that's not stopping me so we've talked about the three c's we've 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 done cdm so we've done this one uh this this is this is no good being red is it let's just let's just change this to to white we have done CDM we have done crisis management uh, is what we're going to do so we've kind of done a bit of a bit of CDM we're going to do a bit of, uh, of so that that was kind of episode one uh, part two is uh, is going to be looking at crisis management a bit and we might bounce there might be a bit of uh, you know we might bounce back and forth between these two uh, and then probably episode three will end up being talking about crashworthiness so we're going to talk about these three things um, but this episode we're going to be talking about crisis management. And we're going to be going back to the RIB report. Um, so, oh, uh, I th- let's uh, let, let's let's see what we can do. So let's uh, flip back to the PDF and uh, just full screen it. So, I think we got to this point. We got to the point where we were moving from uh, we were moving on to paragraph 190, which was uh, or 189 rather, which was talking about the risk to train operation from summer convective storms. And this is one of the conclusions of the report, which is that Network Rail did not have suitable arrangements in place to allow timely and effective adoption of additional operation... My brain is too mushy for this. uh, this, uh, We are, folks, we are podcasting. Uh, Network Rail did not have suitable arrangements in place to allow timely and effective adoption of additional operational mitigations in case of extreme rainfall, which could not be accurately forecast. It's a hell of a mouthful. Um, But uh, yes, that is... To to kind of uh, condense that down... These summer convective storms that were responsible for the extreme rainfall. Um, uh, let's bring my little face back as well. I don't know if you want to see me. I'm, I, don't, I look I look far better than I am. I have to be honest. Um, the, the the these kind of rain, extreme rainfall events um, are not easy to uh, to forecast, and Network Rail do not have suitable arrangements in place to to mitigate against those sorts of for, uh, those sorts of extreme rainfall events. Um, the, the, these these events are quite difficult to forecast in 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 enough precision to be useful. So um, that's that's one of the challenges, and, and that's kind of what we're going to go through here. And 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 these italic bits here, um, I should just use my mouse. These bits here, uh, these these sort of uh, headings, are a breakdown then of this of this overall challenge here. So the the, the start. The, uh, the the initial explainer here is going through kind of the, the general structure of, 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 of ScotRail, Scotland's Railway. It's, it's daft that it's called Scotland's Railway in capital letters. I'm hoping that they'll just refer to everything as ScotRail soon. Um, oh, I think I can hear Hoover. I think there's hoovering going on in the house. Is that just me? Oh, yeah, no, no, it's, it's that's happening. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> don't worry about that. So... Uh, Network Rail is responsible for the provision, maintenance, operation, railway infrastructure. Um, so, so Network Rail do the infrastructure. Um, they uh, da, 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 they employ route control staff who coordinate the railway operations. They manage variations from timetable services. Um, uh, railway staff, um, yeah. Other than kind of uh, other than in extreme circumstances and in the absence of alternative instructions. Um, uh, railway staff are required to operate timetabled services without seeking explicit authority for their actions. So that's, that's a kind of a, a kind of an interesting uh, and relevant point that will come up. 
Uh, Scott Rail is the train operating company uh, where, well, they are. They just have, they're, they're, they have now, and this is a news item, they've been nationalised. They have actually been nationalised. Scott Rail is now part of the Scottish government. Um, and uh, rightly so. Operates most passenger train services in Scotland, um, including the one in the accident. Uh, it provides the rolling stock. Uh, it doesn't actually say in the report here. It provides the rolling stock through a leasing company. And the train crew uh, are ScotRail. Um, and together with managers and control room staff, there are ScotRail. So there's a mix. So Network Rail have, have control room staff and um, Network Rail have control room staff, both working together. ScotRail operates a railway timetable agreed with Network Rail, subject to real-time alterations, required to deal with unexpected and or unusual events. Um, and an agreement between Network Rail and ScotRail created the ScotRail Alliance to encourage close collaboration, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, fine. Um, they, they each, they, they each um, retain responsibility um, for the things that they that they have re- had responsibility for in the previous arrangement, but as part of the alliance, they kind of generally work together um, uh, to try and improve the way the railway functions. So there's some more stuff about shifts and, and patterns and the different sorts of staff, and I think we'll break that down a bit more. Um, uh, we'll break that down a bit more uh, going kind of in the in the paragraphs coming up. Oh, my headache is bad. Huh. Weather-related management processes. So. Um, there is a network rail standard NRL two OPS zero twenty one, which is uh, weather managing the operational risks, um, and that was updated uh, in June twenty nineteen. Uh, that was the version, certainly the dream weather, um, and 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 how to kind of uh, processes to be adopted when extreme forecast uh, extreme weather was forecast, and and sort of these uh, these sort of IWMPs, these integrated weather management plans. Um, how to create those uh, is referenced in in that standard zero two one, um, and also there are other things that feed into it as well. So there's a, a relevant section of the standard that they quote here. At times of significantly heightened rainfall intensity, increased proportions of the network will become susceptible to failure. Therefore, consideration needs to be given to dynamically assessing the risks, regardless of whether there are any cutting slopes or embankments in the documented IWMP for the geographical area under threat. There you go. This is going to be quite a processy one, but it'll, it'll get relevant soon, I'm sure, I assure you. Um, so, um, the new version... Uh, sorry, there's a, there's another uh, another standard procedure, uh, 045, network, uh, NRL3 OPS 045, uh, dash 3.17. There you are. That's uh, the standards here. Um, with a 2020 date, which was current when the accident occurred, defined delivery unit... Um, sort of uh, that's the maintainer that the people who maintain the railway asset management and control responsibilities for taking action in response to we- to extreme weather um, uh, da, 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 da. at the time of the accident Eric Rail had instructed its weather forecast provider to use a revised set of national alert thresholds at the time of the accident um, that standard had not been amended to include the revised national alert thresholds there is no evidence that this inconsistency was a factor in the accident okay well they've just included it as a point of a point of a point of reference so these are the thresholds, uh, and they kind of you can see for different types of weather they they pick out um, normal, aware, adverse, or extreme. So that's 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 levels zero to to, to three, if you like. Those are the three different um, kind of uh, the different options there there you've got. Um, so that's those. Now if we go down to so that covers rain, it covers extremes of temperature, frost there. Um, uh, snowfall indeed uh, and then wind at the top uh, as well um, so these are the ones that are in the standard and these are the ones that have been uh, provided by the, 
the, the forecaster. I presume it's the Met Office, to be honest. Um, uh, there. And so Network Rail had established a national contract for a specialist organization to provide bespoke forecasts structured around the specific weather thresholds and including statements giving a level of confidence in the forecast. Um, da, 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 da. They've not actually said who it is. I wonder if it is the Met Office. Maybe, they did. Maybe they've got some, some, some other provider to do, to do that. Uh, I have to speak to Alex about that to see. Anyway, um, so there we are. So we've got this um, Scotland's Railway developed um, a, a kind of a slightly different thing to this IWMP. They had the Adverse and Extreme Weather Plan. Another acronym basically does the same thing. Um, it included, okay, so it's including elements of, of 021, elements of um, 045, and and listed specific locations. It was basically kind of specific to the network, the, the Scott Rail's network. Um and picked out earthworks um, at particular risk of failure, uh, bridges with foundations that could be undermined by high river flows, um, uh, areas that are subject to flooding, uh, and, and a few things like that. Um, and, and so they're, they're, they're kind of the... Don't worry, this will get less dry momentarily, I promise. Uh, it's just, this is sort of scene setting for now. So here are the here are the pictures of the various forecast areas you've got um, here. And you can see that the, the all of the, the stuff in white there is fits into the Perth um, weather area. Just basically, Perth is in charge of, of managing that area, uh, that forecast area. And that kind of also, uh, this is relevant to different sorts of places that get to different levels of weather. Kind of, it, it, they do see this influence. There's less risk up up for these parts, um, and and then you know this side of the country generally gets most rain shadow from the. So you can see the Highland areas where a lot of the rain will fall. Uh, sorry, some of the rain fall, but a lot of the rain falls in the Glasgow area. You can see the, the purple here. Um, in any case, those are the different forecast areas that kind of are alluded to uh, in that A and the, in that uh, adverse and extreme weather plan with the different different forecast forecast areas. Um, so. So here is here are some challenges that we're going to see, and this this will this will happen. The, the, the report gets fiddly here because it's referring forwards on itself. Paragraph three hundred two, and we're only at two hundred two. So there's, it, it's going to be a bit, this bit was always going to be a bit tricky to communicate through because it's a, a little bit fiddly and a little bit process driven. But essentially, um, uh, this is pointing out that the the, the that that plan uh, was did not mention the area where the accident happened, but it mentioned. Uh, Areas a few miles south and a few miles north. Uh, sorry, uh, 1.6 miles and 2.1 miles um, either side of the of the washout area of, the, of where the accident actually happened. Um, the other thing is that route control did not declare this day, the 12th of August, to be a red day. We'll get there. So no additional measures, such as periodic inspections, were being provided at these locations on that morning. That's clearly you know that's clearly an inadequate. Uh, it's an inadequacy that's being pointed out there. Um, so, Network Rail had no reason to believe that that drain was at risk of a washout. It was less than 10 years old and constructed within a regime intended to result in infrastructure compliant with modern standards. Absolutely. If it's a new thing, you expect it to work, right? Um, it's possible that a, an inspection of the drain would have identified that it was not performing as expected. But even if this had been recognised, it's uncertain whether the potential for a serious washout would have been appreciated and the earthwork added to the list of sites in that plan, in that, that extreme weather plan. Although the drain was associated with a railway earthwork, which is not on the at-risk list, uh, it would have been. It would have benefited from any general mitigation applied in the area due to the intensity and duration of the rainfall. Case okay, so sort of saying that it would have been caught by the, by the the kind of the requirements of that plan. This plan required the extreme weather plan required inputs from various parts of Network Rail uh, 
train operating companies and some other organizations, including input from or weather service provided by a specialist organization. A brief description of the functions most relevant to understanding accident causation is given below. Uh, okay, so this is just going through... Right, okay, so, yeah. Where adverse or extreme weather is forecast or occurs, route control staff are responsible for coordinating inputs from other parts of network rail, uh, Scott Rail, other organisations operating trains in Scotland, and specialist contractors. If train services are disrupted by the weather or by weather-related precautions, route control is responsible for managing the effects on these services. So that's the the, the, the team in the route control centre at... at um, Actually, it's it. Are they in? Are they down in Glasgow now? Is, has it been centralised? It used to be Edinburgh and Glasgow, and I think they are consolidating in, in Glasgow. Um, Cowlairs is the is the route operating centre, um, or the railway operating centre. Uh, most railway earthworks are construct, were constructed before modern earthwork design methods were developed, and the condition of some has deteriorated since construction. That's a euphemism and a half. Good grief! As the understatement of the uh, of the century, Network Rail has undertaken significant amounts of physical work intended to improve the stability of earthworks, but it is not practical to bring all earthworks up to modern design standards. So many earthworks are at greater risk of failure during extreme weather, such as heavy rain, than an earthwork constructed to modern standards. Okay, fine. So, uh, so this then says uh, Network Rail's geotechnical asset management teams are responsible for for, pick, for noticing where there are areas that earthworks might fail. Um, and and then those need to then get added into the extreme weather plan. Um, before the current accident, mitigation typically involved reserving slopes for signs of movement and then stopping trains or reducing their speed if there is evidence of significant movement or exceptional water flows. Okay, fine. Um, so that's generally just saying the maintenance teams are the ones responsible for those routine inspections and then looking after the earthworks as well. Fine. Um, so they're, 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 the maintenance teams are the ones who might then um, uh, observe earthworks that are at the, on the at-risk list and then pointing out that it's a problem. Oh, so um, the process applied by Scotland's route control staff uh, on the day uh, was broadly consistent with the process described um, in, the, in the Extreme Weather Plan. But it was at a significant variance with Network Rail's national standards for managing extreme weather. This is this is the interesting bit. So Scotland has is was doing things differently to to the rest of Network Rail, and as we might explore, this caused problems. Um, this is where devolution of standards can become a problem. Yeah. Um, upon receipt of the forecast. Uh, within control, the, the root control, uh, the, the, the RCM, the, the root control manager, I think, uh, was required by the Extreme Weather Plan to evaluate the forecast and allocate a route alert code. Um, that would then be communicated throughout uh, Network Rail Scotland. Uh, according to the national standards, weather forecasts in the days leading up to the accident and actual rainfall of the day of the accident should have resulted in route control staff declaring a red route alert on the day of the accident. This would have led to one or more extreme weather action teleconferences, EWATs, crikey, uh, basically a Zoom call, or actually a Teams call, when everyone would say, right, these are the challenges we've got, this is where we expect it to be bad, um, here what, here's what we need to do. At which weather-related responses from various parts of the rail industry should have been coordinated. Although no um, call was um, uh, no call happened, there's strong evidence that doing so would have had no practical effect on the event at Carment. Uh, on the event at Carment. Um, uh, this is because Scotland's uh, call implement and mitigation included in the extreme weather plan, which did not require rainfall-related mitigation measures, in measures around Carmen. So there's a bit of a challenge there. Um, the risk of severe localised rainfall in parts of Scotland had been recognised uh, a couple of days before the accident. 
Um, but at this time, the risk of severe rainfall in the Carmen area was not reflected in the detailed area forecast used by Network Rail. This resulted in a structures asset manager sending an email at uh, quarter past three the day before uh, referring to this and the need, uh, sorry, on the 10th, two days before, um, refer, referring to the need for maintenance staff to visit the bridges that are at risk of scour. Uh, in response to this email, the, the root asset manager for geotechnics, um, the geotechnical ram, sent an email to root control, um, including the following extracts, which refer to the network rail weather service. Uh, da -da -da. Right, so... What's... Oh, this is quite, quite a chunky amount here. Um, okay, so the, basically... Due to the unpredictable nature of this rainfall, maintenance to use um, local knowledge where possible to self-instruct visits to earthwork sites if concerns are raised from real-time feedback. Okay, so that's fine. Um, the notes below show... Uh, da -da 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 -da. Yeah, so they're just pointing out that there is a severe risk of localised rainfall events and then saying that the notes below um, show the kind of areas that are of concern. Um control to make best endeavors to respond to any reports of localized flooding in the vicinity of earthworks named in the in the the extreme weather plan they're talking about cab rides site inspection are acceptable during daylight hours speed restriction um is acceptable during the hours of darkness um or in daylight if there aren't resources for inspection in the first instance they, so they're, they're referring to this list of earthworks that are in that plan which didn't include carbon remember um, and then the geotech ram is saying they're going to continue to monitor, and then they're saying the abrupt approach is in keeping with the, the, the kind of extreme weather plan. Also, in response to the email sent by the... Um, let's see, so that was sent by the... Yes, so... Um, yes, so the, the, the Structures Asset Manager's email, another email to exchange took place uh, between root control staff later the same day, included an email um, referring to an earlier email... Uh, emails, emails, emails... Uh, I'm concerned that the responsibility of identifying the structures being put at risk by localised flooding is being put onto the incident controller to do it very short notice. There is only one incident controller for the west and one for the east covering the whole of Scotland. We're also following social distancing guidelines at the moment. During disruptive events, our time is consumed by managing the response and dealing with the recovery. With the forecast predicting lightning and significant rainfall, this could lead in sick. Uh, to many substantial incidents to deal with. We've also we also have other incidents not relating to uh, the weather that could play a factor. Um, there's a fatality, some bridge strikes, uh, those sorts of things. Not to mention CRTs, as in um, speed restrictions as a result of temp high temperatures. I'm worried that we will not be able to pinpoint the designated structures in the plan in time. Contact the Pway team, um, arrange the response, and coordinate these within within the necessary timescales at such short notice, especially if we are overwhelmed by other incidents. The benefit of our regular practice in preparing for scouring embankments and cutting inspections is that we are preparing the maintenance department in advance to give them time to arrange the resources required within the timescales. Uh, right, okay, so there's a few communications there that are um, slightly worrying. Uh, yes. Um, reviewing these emails shows that the geotechnical team understood risk could arise at any earthworks, not just those listed in the emergency plan. Um Yes, uh, this risk was illustrated by the landslips at Ironies Bridge and south of Lawrence Kirk. Uh, neither occurred at locations in the at-risk list, um, and it's demonstrated by analysis of previous earthworks failures. So, th so the, the geotechnical team understood that. Um, the the, the geotechnic RAM uh, referred to the application of mitigation at sites not on the at-risk list. Um, the, the Scottish Extreme Weather Plan only lists mitigation for at-risk earthworks, which, isn't it, which is consistent with the, the network rail standard, 
but it provides no guidance on how risk other earthworks should be managed. So that's a shortcoming. You know, it's saying, well, basically, we can ignore the other earthworks that aren't at risk, which, as we know, is not, not the case, right? So that's a problem. Uh, Alfonso the Pulche is pointing out that given British weather uh, can be so varied in local areas, do we need greater local measurements? Well, uh, things like a weather station at the head of every valley. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And, and with every new supercomputer, the Met Office forecasts get more and more precise. And, and to be honest, this is one of the things that they understand they're going to have to do is they know that their customers like Network Rail are asking for more high resolution um, uh, forecasting. And actually, it's it's. I think it'd be interesting to get Alex back on to talk about what the Met Office is doing in response to that. And that's a really good question. Uh, someone put that in the Discord uh, polls. Get Alex back on to talk about what, what, the, what the Met Office are doing about climate change and about uh, high-resolution forecasting. So I think that'd be really interesting to pick up. So um, uh, the Scottish Extreme Weather Plan mentions structured expert judgment as a means of using relevant data to adjust responses, blah, blah, blah. But it does not specifically link this to earthwork mitigation. Um for reasons given uh, in the next paragraph, the RIB concluded that it would not be appropriate for um, uh, kind of expert judgment to be, uh, yeah, basically it wouldn't be wouldn't be acceptable to just rely on that to, to work out at-risk locations um, without the benefit of some sort of fairly well-developed contingency planning. And no such contingency plans existed before Carmen. So clearly, again, some, some problems, some serious problems. Um, Route control was focused on providing mitigation at sites listed in the, the, the extreme weather plan and expressed concern about implementing mitigation beyond this list without specific evidence. Um, uh, this focus is also apparent from witness evidence. Okay, interesting. The geotechnical team undertook to identify an earthworks not on the at-risk list but possibly affected by the rainfall if route control provided sufficient information about concerns in particular localities. Uh, before the Carmont train started its northwest journey, route control staff were aware of two landslips and two flooding events within about 17.7 kilometres of the washout. So they were aware that things were going wrong. Um, the, the, these, uh, But the trouble is, this the, the problem is a disconnect. So this awareness did not result in any mitigation being applied in response to these known events. It's possible that the absence of a response was influenced by workload in route control and or in the geotechnical team. Geotechnical assets affected by the extreme rainfall included nine locations with landslips, plus earthwork failures due to the canal breach at Pullman. Remember, there'd been a huge canal breach, a huge flooding canal breach at Pullman under the railway. So, you know, these serious problems on the rail network have been happening already. Um... So, uh, other points that they've they've picked up here. The geotechnical team had undertaken to monitor um, oh, these acronyms. I'm already forgetting what these acronyms are at the best times. I was never going to keep on top of it. Uh, the weather service, I think. I uh, was checking it a couple of times a day or in response to control notifying of, of, of events. Um, as implied in the, in the, the, the email two days before the Carmen disaster, and confirmed to the RIRB, um, initiating earthwork mitigation required route control staff to inform the geotechnical team of a problem. Um, reliance on this alone meant there was a significant risk of a train encountering a landslip before route control was aware of a problem. Uh, the weather service could, if appropriately configured, have been used to determine when the geotechnical team should initiate precautions outside locations on the at-risk list. However, Network Rail had not provided the rainfall thresholds at which this should be done, and without these, it was impractical for the geotechnical team to determine appropriate action while dealing with an extreme weather event. Such threshold values were introduced after the accident. So there you go. Uh, route control staff were concerned about the availability of resources both within control and from the wider network rail organization to implement weather-related precautions uh, without more than a day's notice. Um, yeah, so 
this is interesting. Yeah, not, this is just pointing out that the, the structured expert judgment, um, which is basically saying people looking at the map, looking at the weather, and, and guessing areas that look like, or guesstimating areas that look like they're going to be a problem. Um, the RIB consider that unless it's based on contingency plans, neither that nor dynamic risk assessment by geotechnical staff are appropriate ways to determine the sorts of mitigations at which um, you know uh, earthworks should or should not be on the at-risk list. Um, and, and no contingency plans were available before Carmen. The reason you need this contingency planning is because um, establishing appropriate responses requires like historical earthwork failure data, which is not just necessarily from the British Rail Network. You know, it's 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 a broader view. Um, weather records associated with those, uh, and then looking at those in the context of the geotechnical sort of science and the geological context. So actually, you, you require people outside of the standard um, routine maintenance or even the asset management. And asset managers are generally pretty clued in to the science of this stuff. But it requires a broader view. And that's why you need to have the, the, the contingency planning has to happen much earlier um, than that. Require, may require specialist technical input not available within the network rail team and could require, or certainly within the local team, and this could require considerable interaction with other parts of the railway industry, including... Uh, including route control staff, okay, to understand how staff management as well as the the, the engineering and the science uh, kind of influences what is likely to be on the on what should be on this failure list. Um, yeah. So, uh, is this is is everyone following this? By the way, I know this is quite heavy, but I I think people are starting to see the threads being weaved now as we're starting to get into the meat of it. I think you can see where this is going, right? Um, do do let me know if you want me to sort of speed through this because it's not making a huge amount of sense. Uh, the approach taken by the geotech. Okay, so da 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 da. So um, this is the statement. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is the approach taken by the geotechnical and route control teams, and the interaction between them was consistent with. Um, a corporate statement provided by Network Rail in response to a previous accident. Uh, sort of uh, the RAB had investigated um, um, and the statement acknowledges that geotechnical engineers in network rail have always been aware that short duration high intensity rainfall uh, presents a high risk to earthworks not on an at-risk list and includes the following extracts so there's there's some stuff that that was was said by by uh, network rail's corporate statements and okay fine yeah, work had been commissioned. Since then, we've been developing awareness. You see all these things like, oh, sort of, we're getting on there. Um, you know, the the extreme weather plan only set out these procedures. Um, growing perception that we were experiencing an increase in the number of convectional rainfall events. Dot dot dot. You know, this is all climate change, by the way. This is all our our evolving climate having an impact on the way that, um, uh, the way that the, the way that weather patterns uh, develop and how quickly they can develop and and behave. Um, yes, yeah, so so you can see here that there are some, uh, yeah, okay, so there's awareness of a risk associated with intense storms that cannot be reliably forecast, uh, particularly following derailment at Watford. Uh, we've referred to the Watford derailment, I think. Have we shown the Watford derailment? That was the, that was that was why I was writing my piece in Rail uh, before Carmen happened. I'd submitted a, I'd submitted it already. The first draft had gone in, looking at earthworks and saying the next big earthwork failure. Um, the, the next big derailment, potentially a fatal one, was going to be related to an earthquake failure. And, and like that week, it was genuinely within that kind of week or two that Carmen happened. Um, and uh, I'd been referring to Watford there, the, the, the derailment of the train at Watford, which resulted in a train uh, being derailed off a landslide into Watford Tunnel and nearly uh, struck a train, but thankfully glancing rather than a head-on collision. A matter of inches. That would have been a horrific crash if... Um, 
you know, if circumstances had been fractionally different. So, um, here we are. So, uh, there's some other corporate sort of stuff saying kind of how they deal with it and, and the short notice forecasts and how these are dealt with. Um, the, the network rail weather service was being referred to by the route asset management teams when the accident occurred at Carmen and was available to route control staff. Although it could have been configured to provide all these staff with information, including alerts, showing that rainfall thresholds associated with intense rainfall had been reached in the Carmen area, this had not been done. In addition, training necessary to use these features had not been delivered. So there's a shortcoming in the weather service there. It's not, clearly not functioning as well as it should be. The data was coming in, but it was not being churned out. Will, I think, Will, were you on the, watching this? Yeah, um... I think the data, you know, this is this is why it's absolutely key that data is usable. It's it has to be understood and 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 and, and extraneous data got rid of. It has to just be that sort of service needs to just provi provide precisely the right information, um, without any faff whatsoever. So it's really key. Um, uh, any uh, there are lots of data. Hi, Will. There are lots of data harbingers out there, um, and it's critical that all of them understand uh, and, and and understand that what that data might be used for and facilitate that data being if in, in the case of people who don't necessarily actually do create the user interface it's it's a case of ensuring that data is it's can be interpreted right by the user interface creators but also um uh underst you know understanding the use case is critical because if you can understand the use case then you then you can ensure that the information is as clear as possible particularly for something as critical as a weather service you, you, there's always going to be extraneous data and you should be able to add extra layers in if necessary but the default view should provide the, the absolutely critical uh, information and it might well need to be responsive depending on what's happening you know if, 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 if that weather service is in if you've got for example um, you know it might be that, that the interface changes automatically based on what sort of thresholds are being reached in terms of extreme weather depending on who's looking at it um, anyway, uh, that has some of that work has already happened. The weather service has been improved since this point. So um, <clears throat> here we've got uh, observations uh, in Verberve nearby, uh, near Carment, uh, looking at how much uh, rain fell on the day, on, you know, in the morning of, of the derailment. Um, more than 40 millimetres have fallen by 7 a.m. Um, basically, this shows that there is just yeah it just shows the extreme levels of rainfall that occurred in that very very short space of time um and yeah those the, the, the rainfall at both locations uh sort of from Inverbury and from the accident site significantly exceeded the 10 millimeters in one hour threshold which was the the red threshold i think um and the 20 millimeters in one hour threshold being used by the weather forecast provider at the time of the accident. The data from both locations also shows rainfall greater than the 40 millimeters in three hour threshold, which po a post accident amendment um, to that to, to the zero four what is it zero four five um, that that knock three one seven the knock sorry, basically the standard that referred to the thresh that provided thresholds. Um, that's been updated since the accident. Um, trigger implementation of intense rainfall mitigation. Um, including reduced train speeds. So there's an acknowledgement post-carment that there should have been a threshold saying reduced train speeds um, until there's been a full inspection of the line. So there's an understanding of that now, but it was just a gap. It just wasn't, hadn't been thought about enough, um, hadn't been risk assessed properly. Um, yeah, knowledge of earthwork risk and rainfall data available from the weather service were sufficient for this mitigation process to have been applied in the air of the washout on the day of the accident. There's no reason for this, that this shouldn't have been applied on the day. So it's um, yeah, uh, not not good really. Not not a good reflection on risk management um, here. So um, 
an email from the geotechnical RAM on the 25th of June 2020 addressed um, uh, the risk to earthworks not on the at-risk list, um, saying that this type of rain is impossible to forecast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is unlike winter frontal storms, which can be forecast with pretty decent confidence 24 to 36 hours in advance. It's worth possibly briefly talking about what a convective um, storm is, is where actually you get a load of moisture is brought up into a warm air uh, system um, and it actually just essentially collapses in on itself. So you get very small, very localized and very extreme uh, rainfall. And this can happen based with in the in the sorts of air movements uh, and hot weather you can get um, as a result of ch the changing climate. You know, we, we've all, these sorts of things have always occur, but they occur with increasing frequency and magnitude um, as we go forwards. So there, there we've kind of gone through there. That, that That's some, some, some sort of serious risk management stuff there. Right, the next issue is route control staff actions in response to events overnight, 11th of August into 12th of August. Uh, this is this is one of the contributing problems, uh, contributing factors. Um, although aware of multiple safety-related events caused by heavy rain, route control staff were not required to and did not restrict the speed of the train on its northward journey from Carmen to Stonehaven. This is the crux of it. If they had, the consequences would have been substantially less. Um, so... Although extreme weather was included in the forecast issued uh, early in the morning uh, on the 11th of August, um, a red route alert code had not been assigned for that day by the route control manager. Uh, manager. The alert code issued for the period 6am uh, uh, on the 11th to 6am on the 12th was adverse, which is like level 2, not, not level 3. So it's like amber, not, not, not red. The reasons for this decision and its implications discussed at paragraph 298. Again, we have to skip forwards for that bit. We'll get there, folks. Um, I think we get to that point. Although extreme weather was included in the forecast issue... Oh, I've done that bit. I've done that already. Uh, during the night, the weather had caused multiple failures and other problems on the rail infrastructure throughout Scotland's central belt and eastern areas. The cumulative effect of these failures was such that by 5am, the only major route in the central and eastern parts of the country which remained unaffected was Inverness, Aberdeen, Dundee. And during the very early part of the morning, trains operated over this route without encountering any problems. Shortly before 7am, route control began to receive information about weather-related issues between Aberdeen and Dundee. And at one minute past seven in the morning, um, our train actually was brought to a stand due to the land, due to the landslip, uh, the landslip near Arnie's Bridge, south of Carmen signal box. Um, at 20 past seven, route control staff instructed the Carmen signal to make arrangements for the train to return to Stonehaven. This journey did not start until uh, over two hours later, as we know, um, as, as is kind of discussed earlier. So by 9am, around 30 minutes before the return journey started, four obstructions of the railway within 11 miles of our train had been reported to control. These included a landslip near Arnie's Bridge, which is we, we knew about that one. That's the one that the, the driver knew about because that's why the driver had, had, had stopped. Uh, that was that was already kind of highlighted. Flooding effect in the down line, also close to this bridge, which I think the driver had seen. Flooding at Newton Hill, and a landslip a short distance south of Lawrence Kirk as well. So it's just a series of, of of problems. Although aware of these obstructions on either side of train um, of our train, route control staff did not take any action to assess the risk to the operation of that of of the current train on its return to Stonehaven and took no action to run the train at a reduced speed. With the exception of Network Rail's stranded train risk assessment process, there was no process requiring route control staff to assess risks to specific trains beyond general situation awareness possessed by individuals within the control function. So there was no process. So whilst 
uh, you would have hoped that the root control staff would have picked that up. You've got to think about their workload that they're dealing with. There are massive failures going on all over the place, and they're thinking about passengers being stranded in poor, in poor, in poor conditions. So, so it's not so much that blame lies with these people. It's more that there are clearly challenges and, and there need to be process and hierarchies and, and ideally automated parts of the process that flag some of these things so if there, you know if you have a system that's automatically picking up oh well there are several faults on this line and that train is there if you had a train management system that could pick that sort of thing up that would maybe flag a little red light for the route control manager to then go right actually we can't send one t08 you know one tango 08 on its on its route uh, 08 on its route um so uh, the, this apparent lack of awareness about weather-related risk to train uh, one Tango zero eight contra our train uh, contrasts with action taken when another train was reversed at Lawrence Kirk Station because of the flooding at Newton Hill. Um, that train arrived at Lawrence Kirk Station about uh, about quarter past seven, uh, remained there until half past eight uh, when it was instructed uh, when the signaler, the local signaler, was instructed to return that train to Dundee. Uh, when giving this instruction, an informal exchange between route control and the Lawrence Kirk signaler identified that the train had been at Lawrence Kirk for over an hour and led control to instruct the signaler that he should advise the driver of that train heading back to run at a reduced speed. The instruction was given, but there was no opportunity for the driver to implement it as he stopped the train shortly after leaving the station because he encountered a landslip, so he didn't get very far. It's possible that route control staff um, would have required train... Uh, our train to travel northwards at reduced speed if they had given further consideration to the associated weather-related risk after instructing the Carmont signaler to return it to Stenhaven. So our train was stranded for two and a half hours, um, and uh, there's a there's a risk assessment required. So it's a zero four five, our standard that we were looking at earlier, um, requires a risk assessment for stranded trains and includes guidance that this should be done within thirty minutes of the train becoming stranded and with further assessments at intervals appropriate to the circumstances. The procedure states that this is a joint responsibility of the Network Rail Control and the Train Operating Company Control. So both Network Rail and ScotRail had responsibility to do that. The alliance arrangement in Scotland meant that the relevant staff from both organisations were located in the same route control. So they could probably, you know, they don't need to both do it. They could, one of them could do it, could undertake that assessment. Stranded train risk, train risk assessments are intended to assess the welfare of the passengers to determine whether they should be evacuated from the train. In the case of passengers on our train, their low numbers and the presence of functional toilets, air conditioning and other onboard services meant that although the prolonged delay south of Carmen's signal box was inconvenient, their welfare was not at risk. That's quite a reasonable assessment. You know, that's not a bit, bit full, full train, everything's functioning. Um, it's quite a reasonable assessment to make. Furthermore, the rural nature of the road network in this area, combined with considerable disruption to the roads caused by the weather, meant that any evacuation of the passengers to road transport would have been hazardous. It would potentially made things would have actually made things worse. Um, so, um, let's see. Now, there, uh, David Shepard. Now, I don't know if there is a there isn't a weather station attached to current signal box, but to be honest, it's not the sort of thing that's hugely useful because most of these signal boxes will eventually, you know, in fairly short order, be disappearing. So, um, there's not much use in, in in having weather stations like that. You know, whether we have and, and if we were going to put weather stations at all the at risk locations around the rail network, that would just be it would be impossible. And a network rail is not a weather forecasting organization so it's it's down to what you want to do ideally in this situation is have and you might have localized you do have installed localized weather measuring things for certain features particular key features you couldn't do it you couldn't do it frequently enough to have picked this up for example um and this comes down to um this absolutely comes down to network rail 
uh, sorry to the Met Office managing uh, you know improving the quality and the resolution of their forecasts. That's that's what it all comes down to. Um, so okay, so that's uh, so that's understandable. Um, but that risk assessment we talked about was not actually carried out. Uh, witness evidence indicates that this was an oversight due to the high workload in route control caused by the large number of incidents being managed. The circumstances of, of our train and the lack of immediate welfare issues for the passengers mean that it is improbable that a stranded train risk assessment would have led route control staff to take action relating specifically to passenger welfare needs. However, although not part of the documented process, it is possible, but unlikely, that an assessment in the knowledge of surrounding infrastructure problems would have triggered a decision by route control staff to require movement of train of our train at a reduced speed. So that could have caught it. Not not necessarily, in fact, quite unlikely, but it could. It's a possibility it could have. Um, so, the resources available for route control staff. Oh, I'm tasting things funny, which is generally a, a bit... I bet it is COVID. The LFTs have not picked it up, but I, everything's... I'm getting smells and tastes that are very funny. I need to get. I need to bring some whiskey up here to smell, just to get the smell to work out whether I can smell things. Mm. Excuse me, everyone. I'm drinking because otherwise I'm going to collapse. So... Uh, route control is routinely resourced to deal with the problems likely to arise as a normal consequence of railway operation. Typically, these include equipment failures, staffing issues, problems associated with adverse weather that is normally encountered. Uh, this resource can be insufficient to deal with exceptional events. Um, evidence that route control staff were overloaded on the morning of the 12th uh, is provided by witness evidence. The number of events listed in Appendix D, the severity of some of these events, and omission of the stranded risk assessment for our carbon train. So they're clearly being massively overworked here. It's serious, like, crisis mode. Which I have to say, in my head, and maybe this will get looked at, um, maybe they'll mention this, is if resourcing is becoming an issue, frankly, I think it's right that the railway applies a blanket speed restriction of 50 miles an hour to, to minimise risk. I, I don't think that's an unreasonable risk mitigation um approach to say actually we are not a we are, we are not resourced enough that we can safely manage trains let's just put a speed blanket speed on our the area we're responsible for i wonder if they'll pick pick up on that it's um or, or perhaps that's actually been picked because because you know ultimately you need people to be looking after this stuff and if they aren't if they're if they're being stretched thin then you you can't be running trains around um at speed you know it's like railroads online if, if you haven't got someone on the train it might disappear off and do something horrible you know you need to have enough people to look after the system um uh, it's possible for further resources to be brought into control to deal with abnormal circumstances. One option was an additional member of staff brought on duty to operate a specific weather desk. Um, okay, fine. Uh, this relied on a competent individual, individual being available and willing to work overtime. A weather desk had been introduced in response to adverse weather in Scotland in June 2020. However, no weather desk was operated on the night of the 11th or 12th. And there is no evidence suggesting that serious consideration was given to seeking volunteers to staff this. Uh, that's not good. An alternative source of additional resources is the implementation of senior management instant control. Um, Gold Command, yeah. Uh, and this is described in uh, NRL 2 OPS 250, Network Rail Emer National Emergency Plan. Uh, this deploys a cadre of senior managers who can be tasked with managing a specific problem or incident, such as adverse weather event. Uh, such as an adverse weather event. Uh, although NR, uh, sorry, Network Rail Procedures describe this implementation as being decided by uh, that that call, the, 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 the EWAT meeting, um, uh, the, the route control managers within Scotland sometimes did it without that meeting, so they did it without that call. During the night of the 11th 12th, the night shift RCM considered implementing the gold command structure to better manage the weather issues. However, despite the level of disruption already known about and the forecast of further extreme weather, 
He did not do so because he judged that by the time the necessary staff had been mobilised, the need for the additional support would have receded. It's not an unreasonable conclusion to come to. Had a gold command structure been implemented earlier, it is possible that the railway's ability to respond more effectively would have increased. Absolutely. So, to, so, so while it's not an unreasonable thing to, a conclusion to, to draw, um, it could have been a it could have solved the problems if that had happened earlier. The following morning, before the accident at Carmen occurred, the day shift um, route control manager, in conjunction with the head of Integrated Control, so that's the Integrated Control is the is between Network Rail and ScotRail. Um, decided to implement Gold Command to manage the recovery from the weather issues. However, the time taken to implement this decision meant that this did not become operational until quarter past ten, shortly after the accident happened. A second, separate command structure was then created to manage the issues related to the accident specifically. It is possible that had the additional resource been available at Root Control earlier on that day, on the 12th, consideration of damage elsewhere in... Uh, in Scotland, including the four events in uh, that area, who led to the recognition of the events in the Lawrence Kirk uh, Air, Newton Hill area, which would have, sorry, which would have led to the recognition of potential threat to our train from the extreme weather in the vicinity of the tr uh, in, in kind of in, in the vicinity of Carmont. Um and it's possible that this would have led to action being taken to mitigate that threat. That's a, that's it's you know th these are some of the serious, um, serious problems uh, associated with it. Yeah, Hassels is pointing out that blanket speeds did go in in advance for the last few storms. Yeah, um, I, I think they went in for the storms. They didn't go in for the resourcing. Say there's some sort of event that's that's pulling the resourcing. Say it's a football, say it's a football day. And if, I think it would be a, a correct process to have that if operations, if operational staff, for whatever reason, there'd be a load of train delays and then there's football staff, football trains or so, some massive event like that. And if, if operational staff in a control centre were feeling stretched, I think it should be within their right to apply a blanket speed restriction to their area until they... And it might be only a short period, but it would then that would then be lifted as they got resources and felt like they were in control of the situation. It might be that it was it would only happen for an hour or two, but that... you know, And yes, that would cause more disruption. But ultimately, um, the whole point is that reducing speeds to 50 miles an hour massively reduces the risk of, of, of issues uh, of, of trains, particularly for trains in this in extreme weather event. Okay, trains hitting each other generally doesn't is much less likely to happen these days, thankfully. But um, the risk from things like landslides is massively reduced if you drop below, actually below 100 kilometres an hour, but certainly below 50 miles an hour, um, because the energy is that much less that the likelihood of... Uh, generally, there's a flipping point. Above and below 50 miles an hour... Um, Above mile fifty miles an hour is the difference between whether you're gonna have a fatal or non fatal incident, to be honest. That threshold sort of sits there. It sits between eighty and hundred kilometers an hour. Um, just based on past experience. Um uh, so uh Campaign for Northeast Rail is pointing out that blanket speed restrictions go out for all weather warnings now, um in their experience. Um that's a good Gareth and Campaign for Northeast Rail communicate to each other. That's uh Yes, and Chris McKenna points out a very good point, which is that those short-term speed restrictions due to resourcing issues could be used to analyse where and when additional resources needed, absolutely. David Shepard, it's not so much about whether the driver could stop at 50 miles an hour, it's more about the fact that, that at that speed, there is significantly less momentum and less kinetic energy. Um, it's a half mv squared, remember it's v squared, so the square of the speed. So dropping to 50 miles an hour means a lot less energy. So it's not just about stopping the train. It's just that even if the at fifty miles an hour, the, the train would have struck that, um, struck the the kind of the spilled material from the drain. But a, it might have stayed on track. 
B, it might well have stayed more online within the track with that with that with the reduced speed, and C, um, even if it had continued to derail in the way that it did, the energy is such that the the impact, the consequences of the derailment might have been less. So, um, yes. So, what time is it? Oh crikey, we've managed to fill the hour almost already. Uh, network rail control staff competency requirements. Uh, okay, right. I'm going to skip to the end of that. So, although the network rail con route control staff had been assessed in accordance with this competence management system, the risks to the movement of the train were not considered. The stranded train risk assessment was not completed. Additional resources were not sought, and the senior management incident command structure was not initiated in a timely manner. From the RAIB, that's pretty for them to be wording it like that they're basically saying that the they do not believe what their implication there is that the network rail route control staff were not competent that's that's what's being said here and i have to say it's difficult to argue with that further shortcomings associated with the competency management system are described in paragraphs 314 to 317 so again uh this is not pointing blame at the specific individuals this is saying that there is not a an you know as, as a permanent uh, engineer there is there are shortcomings in in permanent way engineering and the fact that there is not a good competency framework within which permanent way engineers are experienced uh, it's all based on um uh, it's all based on uh general okay now it's changing the permanent way institution of introduced chartership which is a, a reasonably good way to measure uh, kind of experience and knowledge but generally there's not unlike signaling which has a very specific set of competencies uh other forms of engineering on the railways don't have that and this, and so you have to have you know we, there is a need for an improvement in competence in the competency matrix there. Likewise, the, clearly the case for the route control staff, the competency system capturing what their experience is, how they respond to situations, and indeed their training is not good enough. It's not good enough. It certainly wasn't good enough then. Um, the actions of the signaler and the driver. Uh, the signal and the driver were not required to, and consequently did not restrict the speed of our train to below that normally permitted. So. Um, Tim Ballon is saying that um, uh, having a look at some of the air accident investigations, uh, Tim can see so many similarities in how air crews have lost it. Absolutely, you know, work, you know, uh, workload management, all this sort of stuff. Uh, all this sort of stuff is um, absolutely applies across the across the rail industry. And there's a lot we can, and indeed the RAIB exists because of the success of the AAIB, the, the air accident investigation branch, in, in highlighting these issues. Um, and indeed, the route control centres have learned a lot from the way that um, the uh, air, you know, air traffic control uh, systems operate, and 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 uh, those those kind of uh, you know teams operate as well. Actions of the driver and the signaler. So it's normal practice on the national rail system to operate trains at the maximum point of speed where this is practical, safe, and in accordance with train operators' professional driving policies. There are some exceptions, such as systems used by some train operators to allow trains to be driven in a way that reduces fuel consumption while still achieving timetable requirements. Yeah, fine. The railway is an environment in which compliance with rules and procedures is expected as a fundamental part of ensuring safety. Although drivers and signals are required to take appropriate action if aware of an infrastructure problem, the rules and procedures are based on an underpinning assumption that the infrastructure manager will give appropriate notice if trains cannot be safely operated at maximum permitted speeds. So this, this, and this is kind of relevant to people I know who are in the, uh, uh, who are in the chat. Um, and we've talked about this when we when we did the interim report. Drivers operate on the railway entirely based on trust that that infrastructure, that the railway that they're driving their train along, will do exactly what it's supposed to do. Whether that's the way that signals will behave, um, whether that's the fact that the track is going to be up to scratch, uh, switches and crossings set properly, 
earthworks haven't failed, bridges are suitably holding the track up. The whole thing, and I've only been on a couple of, you know, a few cab rides, and every single time I did, it was hammered into me more than anything else. Um, more than anything else at all, it was hammered into me that um, that trust is critical. And, the, if, and if there's any breakdown of that trust, the railway system fails. That's why drivers are so high-skilled, because the way that they deal with that trust, and rightly they're paid well, is because their trust is actually critical in ensuring the safety of the passenger behind. If they were super cautious, there's actually it's not just that the tra- the railway wouldn't function properly. You know, you wouldn't no one would get any ever get anywhere. But actually, that presents a potential risk itself. So that trust is critical. Um. So. Uh, that be- that being said, um, so the the, the railway rulebook makes provision for circumstances in which a signaller should instruct a train driver to proceed at caution. That's fine. Um, which is uh, at caution is a way of saying uh, driving the train at a speed that would allow the driver to stop their train short of any obstruction. So driving to the vanishing point, a bit like we drive a car. Actually, you don't drive a train. Uh, you don't drive your car like you drive a train, or vice versa. You don't drive a train like you drive a car. If you drove a train like you drive a car, you'd not get anywhere. Actually, driving a train at caution is the equivalent of driving a car um, normally, because when you're driving your car, you should always be driving your car at caution. You should never be driving faster than the point at which you can see uh, ahead. Um, vanishing point driving, that's a standard way of, of, of controlling speed of, of a vehicle. Um, and if you haven't been taught that, you probably shouldn't be driving, frankly. Uh, cars, <coughs> that is. So, um... Da, 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 da. RSSB, the Railway Safety and Standards Board, has advised that in an da, 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 um, uh, that in an area of absolute block signaling, such as between Carmen and Stenhaven, this would typically follow application of absolute block regulation for obstruction danger, a process which applies only if a signaller becomes aware or suspects that there is an obstruction or other emergency on the track between them and the next signal box. This is going back right back to the early days of the railway, by the way. The, these these rules. Um, and how they exist, and 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 that's that's fine. There's no problem with that rule. Um, the current signal was aware of a number of issues caused by the adverse weather on the morning, none of which were between his signal box and the next one in the down direction, Stenhaven. Uh, that's going northwards, by the way. These included the following: so that the, the signal was aware of the landslip and the flooding that we've talked about before. Um, and a lightning strike that caused a power failure at, at the Carmen box. This, uh, yeah, crikey. Uh, this had disabled the block bells used by signalists to communicate between signal boxes, but the block instruments controlling train movements were still working. This meant that trains could still be signalled, but with signalers communicating between boxes using telephone calls instead of the block bells. Crikey, I hadn't realised there'd be a lightning strike. Grief. Um, the driver of train, by the way, there's an interesting discussion going on about how speed restrictions like blanket speed restrictions can be communicated, particularly to drivers who are on the move at, 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 at this point. And, you know, for long distance drivers, they can be on, on shift for a long time before they and indeed drivers don't go back to see the, the notice board to, to look at some of the operating notices potentially for a long you know, they, they've start only at the start of their shift. So um, this is where having a proper traffic management system is useful and having. Um, an internet connected driver advisory system you know these sorts of things do exist they're operated by some of the train operating companies um there are drivers in the chat now who might be able to say which system you know, some some trains have that systems uh, have those systems in operation others don't but absolutely it's right that a, a, ideally an integrated traffic management system would just be able to ping across all trains if there was a blanket speed restriction in an area that would be a very useful tool will i'm looking at you take note <laughs> um so uh the driver of the train was of our train was aware of a landslip blocking the upline ahead of his train. He is also advised um, at quarter past nine by the Carmen signaller 
that the line was uh, blocked between Stonehaven and Aberdeen. Um, uh, this is this was due to the flooding at Newton Hill. Both the driver and the signal were aware of the heavy rain which had fallen during the morning of the 12th of August. CCTV images show rainfall throughout the southbound journey of the train from Aberdeen until about 10 to 9, well after the train had been stopped by the landslip at Arnie's Bridge. The signaler had been on duty when radar data shows approximately 50 millimetres of rain fell in the vicinity of the signal box. Um, and here's, you see the nice little signal box here. It's a pretty standard looking spot building, look like in Scotland, that kind of standard slate roof and the has it got Chuckies on it? Has it actually got Harling on the walls? That would be very funny if it did, because that's that's even more of a Scottish thing. Anyway, the signaler had been on duty when... Oh, yeah, yeah. So the, the signaler had seen this intense rainfall locally. They'd definitely seen this. Uh, although aware of both the rain and some of its effects on the immediate locality, there's no evidence that either the driver or the signaler were fully aware of the risks to rail infrastructure posed by the heavy rainfall. It's a little bit of lack of connectedness here. The Carmen signaler had no indication that the line was obstructed northwards. Um, after passing his signal box, train 2 Bravo 13 had passed the location of the washout at 7.7, so 7 minutes past 7, and reached Stonehaven Station at 7.13, with its driver subsequently confirming that it had seen no indication of a problem. So the driver had gone past where the Carmen issue was going to be, the Carmen derailment was about to occur, and hadn't spotted a problem two hours earlier. Two hours earlier. Um, uh, so, um, da 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 the, the current signaler was told that this train had reached Stonehaven during a phone call with the Stonehaven signaler at 20 past 7, during which they concluded there was no known obstruction of the upline. So this could be used for the northbound movement of, train, um, of the current train if necessary. Neither signaler had received any indication of any obstruction. So this is the current signaler or the Stonehaven signaler. Neither of them had received any indication of an obstruction um, at the washout location um, at and after... Eight minutes past nine, which is when the discussion happened uh, to authorise the movement of our train northwards. By the time the Carmen signal authorised the, the movement of our train at uh, 9.28, the weather had improved significantly. Evidence that the driver of, of um, tra you know, the earlier train had not seen a problem in passing the washout location indicates that the driver of, train, of our train would have seen no evidence of a problem when passing the site in the southbound direction eight minutes earlier at 6.59. So the driver had our driver had already see, been through that section and not seen a problem. So whilst that isn't a, 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 wasn't a, a reason to assume that everything was fine, you can understand why that's kind of logged in there, hasn't it? Um, uh, so, uh, let's see. So, RAIB has concluded that when the train headed north towards the washout, there was no rule in place that required the train to proceed any slower than the normal maximum permitted speed. When the signaler gave the driver of, of our train authority to travel wrong direction, in the down direction along the upline as far as the crossover, he also advised the driver that due to the power failure affecting his signal box, he might have difficulty in clearing the signal permitting the train to travel along the down line to Stenhaven. In the event, he was able to clear the signal normally. During this conversation, the driver queried whether there was any speed restriction to Stonehaven. The signaler replied that the line was fine between Carmen and Stonehaven and that the driver could proceed at normal speed. In response, the driver said that he would be in no rush to get there. Oh man, it's like actually making me well up a little bit reading this. It's just, you know, this it's a quite reasonable conversation between the, the driver, you know, between Brett and the signaler. Um here and you can kind of understand why they're coming to these conclusions you know you, you can understand it uh, you know it's, it's easy in the benefit of hindsight to say oh well you know they should have known they should have understood that extreme rainfall was a risk but actually 
given their their experience, but also given their their roles, their roles aren't actually to you know there's only so much a driver and a signaler can be doing. It's not their responsibility to be making those sorts of broad assessments. Um, you know, it's not their responsibility. Yes, they it's if if they can do that, great. But it isn't their responsibility, and you can understand given the circumstances why they didn't come to the conclusion that actually the uh, you know uh, the our train should have proceeded more slowly. After travelling slowly past Carmont uh, signal box, and once the rear of, of our train was clear of the crossover, um, the driver of our train accelerated towards the washout. During this journey, the driver briefly shut off power to carry out a running brake test. This is a routine check of brake operation, brake operation required because the train had reversed direction at the landslip. On-train data recording information shows that our, as our train reached the site of the derailment, it was travelling marginally slower than the average speed of the 19 trains four of HSTs that had passed the site of the drillment in the down direction on the previous day. So because of that brake test, it was going a little bit slower than all the other trains were going at the time. Um, ScotRail has reviewed the on-train data recorder uh, for our train uh, approaching the drillment site and confirmed that it would be... Um, yeah, so it's looked at the style of driving. This is just a kind of a routine thing you do with the on-train data recorder. Confirmed that it would be more than happy to pass a driver as competent based on the driving style. And there was no instructions or even any known issues, uh, even any issues known to the driver that would have made them drive any different to how they did that day. Absolutely. Um, consideration of factors affecting fitness for duty. We're going to kind of go through these. Let's just have a quick. Uh, if anyone's, I'm going to flash. Going to flash this through. Um, in a sec, uh, just to see, so just, just cover your eyes. Going to flash some things quickly, try and just check what, uh, check ahead a bit. Um, okay, yeah, no, this is this is fine. This is the last page, and then we're going to close out. I think there are some more bits and pieces we'll pick up in the last, um, in the last uh, sort of section. I think, uh, but there's quite a lot to get through in the last bit. But I think we'll get through it without too much problem because we'll do a two-hour job. This is this is already rolling on, but I'm going to finish soon because I cannot tell you how much my head is causing problems for me. Mm. Okay, is this is is that making sense? We're kind of getting to the end of this bit. I, I know we've um, covered a lot there, and it's all quite eh, it's not very visual, and it's all just me reading things out and looking at pages of text. But is that you know is it is it is that useful? Is it making sense? Is it you know I, I don't know what we can all take from this, but uh, AVG, why are you doing antivirus check right now? Bad timing. Anyway. So, fatigue. There's no evidence that fatigue influenced the actions of the Carmont signaller when he decided to authorise our train to travel northwards, and it's likely that most other signallers would have made the same decision in the same circumstances. However, RAIB has found that his shift pattern included a number of potentially fatiguing factors um, identified uh, by the Officer Rail and Road in its document, Good Practice Guidelines, Fatigue Factors. Okay, this is... Um this is relevant. This is this is worth looking at. The signaler previously worked a twelve-hour night shift from Sunday the ninth into Monday, and a nine-hour night shift from mon Monday, the tenth into Tuesday. He reported having a normal sleep when he returned home at about eight a.m. on Tuesday the eleventh. His next shift then started at twenty-one forty-seven hours, so he had been on duty for nearly twelve hours by nine twenty-eight on Wednesday the twelfth of August. His shift finished at nine forty-five. Oh, these things always happen, don't they? It really was the end of end of his shift. This meant four officer rail and road potential fatigue factors were present when he authorised the northwards movement of train of our train. Um, 
Network Rail has advised that the shift pattern complied with standard uh, with, with their standard and national rostering principles in force at the time. The matter is not pursued further in this report as RAIB has previously made recommendations concerning fatigue risk management for signalers and for other railway industry staff. Um, the driver of... Um, of our train had not been rostered to work since the 5th of August. Witness evidence indicates that he retired to bed about... Um, oh, I don't know who that will be giving the evidence there. It's heartbreaking. About 8.30 on uh, Tuesday the 11th, and uh, the RAIB concludes he was probably well rested at the start of his shift just after 10 past 6 on the 12th of August. Yeah. Um, so... Other factors. Uh, rail industry employers, including Network Rail and ScotRail, have procedures for staff in safety-critical roles to inform line managers of the details of any medication or drugs that are being taken before they undertake any safety-critical work. Both companies also require employees in such roles who have been involved in an accident or incident to be tested for drugs and alcohol. Uh, the current signal was not tested for drugs and alcohol following the accident. Network Rail has advised that this was because he had fully complied with rules and regulations in respect of... Train movement and safety critical communications, there is no evidence that the signaler was unfit for duty and his actions during the morning uh, do not suggest that he was in any way impaired. Uh, the, our driver was taking medication prescribed by his doctor. Although the driver informed his employer that he was taking medication, there is some doubt as to whether it was aware when his prescribed dosage was subsequently increased, despite his doctor's notes indicating that he had said his employer was happy for him to increase the dosage. The post-mortem analysis confirmed the presence of this medication with no evidence of an excess dosage. Records indicate that the driver had not been involved in any safety incidents since being prescribed the medication, other than two incidents caused by members of the public. RAIB has carefully considered the medical evidence and consulted with an independent medical expert. It has found no evidence that the driver was medically unfit for driving duties on the day of the accident. And I think that's a, a point at which we will um, we will stop, actually, there, I think. Um uh, yes, Tom. Tom is kind of pointing out an interesting thing here, which is um, why is someone in a safety critical role being made to work a twelve-hour night shift? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah, uh, <sighs> because we'd have to employ more staff if they work shorter shifts. I think is the and that's the, the balance we've currently got at the moment is that twelve hours is an acceptable length given given the pressures we're under as a railway and 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 tightening of of signaling numbers and and yeah so uh, it's probably one for it's, it's probably a discussion that we're not going to have here but it's an interesting thing to raise absolutely um right so that's the report uh we're going to continue that uh, in in two weeks time um as ever this is available on all podcasting platforms. I know it's another subdued one. It's it's a it's, this is a difficult subject, but I think it's worth. I honestly think it's really important and worthwhile to to pick through this, the report in detail um, like this because there's a lot we can learn. And given the infrequency of fatal accidents like this, you know, incidents that result in a fatality from a derailment, I think it's worth us picking through in the detail because there is a lot we can learn. And I, and and I will round it all out. Um, at the end of the last episode, we'll we'll whether it's the next one or, or maybe one in another couple of weeks uh, after that. Um, I think we'll manage it in the, the third, but I will cluster all of the things we've learned. I think into one. But yes, you can listen to this on all good podcasting platforms. Um, so um, uh, also, yeah, it's a very good point actually. In fact, I'm going to go big. Fi- uh, 
yeah, actually, I'll come back to that in a minute. Let me continue cracking on this, and then I'm going to come to the point that's just been made in the chat. Um, you can support the, the more of this to happen. Support me um, at patreon.com slash Um uh, The merchandise, indeed, the Abolished Treasury mugs, are up on the Masquette website. You can order those. And, in fact, I vigorously recommend that you do so. Um, I think I've have I ordered I think I've ordered myself one to have in the office that'd be nice. Uh, PayPal.me slash Gareth Dennis for 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 um, for loose change. My brain is pulp. Um, Discord Gareth Dennis slash Discord is where the chat that's happening right now over here um, is continuing to happen um, in in the Discord server, and I'm sure there'll be lots of discussions about shift lengths because that seems to be happening a lot at the moment, which is very interesting. Um, Ned Carlson pointing out that we don't even want to know what the shifts that the the BNSF is imposing um, at the moment. Crikey, I don't want to, I don't want to imagine that. We all work far too many long shifts in the UK uh, because we have had our uh, unions have been successively weakened over decades and decades. Anyway, next week um, it's a big news episode, and we're going to be covering all sorts of shenanigans um, because all of the news has piled up so much because I've not had time to set up to add newses to. Pre- I don't. I don't want to make this a habit because it's the whole point of the news is it's a, a bit of a quick intro and it's topical. But we've got a huge pile of news things, um, uh, a huge pile of news things that we'll go through. Some of them fun, some of them a bit a bit, a bit more subdued. But mostly, it's uh, there's some fun stuff in there. So it's a bit of a bit of a change in tone. But that's uh, you know we. Hopefully, should be uh, some some entertaining stuff in there to to wind us up and, and get us banging our heads and get angry about the treasury. Um, I'm not going to say anything about what's currently the um, the thumbnail for this episode, but those of you who can see it in the video can be angry about it with me. So, uh, the week after that will be part three of this of this mini series about Carment, uh, and I think we'll finish up uh, for that episode. I think we'll I think we'll draw it to a close by that point. Um, Yes, I think we will. Uh, it's a little more straightforward to run through, I think, uh, than, than some of the other stuff. Than some, particularly this episode, which has ended up being quite it's quite fiddly, and you've kind of run through stuff again. Um, uh, will Deacon says there's some breaking news on HS2. Oh, interesting. Will, well, what is it, Will? Uh, anyway, right. Let's get my big face up. Oh, you can see. I don't. I mean, it's fine. I don't look too bad, but trust me, I don't feel great at all. Um, Campaign for Northeast Rail pointed out a very good point, and I wanted to just point out this is why unions are important because the current maximum turn length for drivers is ten hours, and you know, and that's for that's for ScotRail, but other 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 train operating companies will have those sorts of things in uh, in place thanks to the unions ensuring that safety is a thing. We need our um, we need our unions um, support them. Don't get angry at them. Uh, and, and if you can support them in every way you can, we are going to have a TSSA union episode because where's my badge? Uh, my card is up there because it's uh, the TSSA is 125th anniversary, I believe. So we're going to get someone from the TSSA to come and join us. But um, uh, anyway, right. So let's. Um, I'm going to ignore what's going on in the chat now. There's some HS2 stuff, but um, it's time for bed. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's a. Call, I've got a call with some people, but um, other than that call, maybe. Uh, People are talking about scrapping the Goldburn link. Oh, great. Well, fantastic. I knew it would happen. IRP gets worse and worse with every passing moment. Right. Um, yes, I've tested myself lots of times, and I shall continue to do so. Um, am I coming to Sheffield to celebrate the TSSA? Uh, is that a thing? Will, should send me a message I, I, off, offline. Any, any other questions or thoughts before I, I go? Everyone who's been with us uh, and everyone who's listening, We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you next week. It's been a, it's been a, hopefully an interesting one. But um, 
I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, you can th- you can get me to rate your buffers on Twitter, which apparently is all that Twitter is for anymore. <laughs> um, right. Adios, everyone. See you soon. Bye.